Hello and welcome back to Opera Offstage. I'm Jesse and I'm Michelle. And today we are going to be talking all about yaps and their many problems. This is actually going to be the first episode of two. We're going to go into a, a bit of a wider picture talking about the structure and financing and the problem with how yaps are made and sold. We are going to save the second episode for talking a little more in depth about casting processes and and how people and artists are treated because this is just such a large issue that we don't want to try and cram it all into one episode. But before we get into the meat of this episode, we have a couple of announcements. Awesome. So, you guys, our Patreon launched today. Woohoo! Heck yeah! Woo! Oh man, this has been a lot of months in the making and in the planning. If you guys don't already follow us on Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at Opera Offstage. We've been posting what's included in our different tiers, um, kind of the new events and goodies that we're now offering. A little bit more detail on what those are. And, you know, if you are not interested in Patreon but still want to get some of these goods, then we also now have a store page on our website, opera-offstage.com, where you can buy our ebooks, our worksheets. We're going to be putting out new materials that are specifically geared towards helping the modern classical musician. So we hope you guys will check that out. But definitely think about our Patreon because you get a lot of those goodies included in your subscription. So, yeah. Yeah. And while you're here, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Super helpful. We love them. We love reading them. We text them to each other. But it really helps people find us. And it's really been a substantial part of our growth is from people seeing those and interacting with the page. So if you can do that, take a second. We really, really appreciate it. Now let's talk about yaps. So I don't think there's anyone who hasn't had a bit of frustration in dealing with yaps. Not just from the application side, but from the how do I live a life that is financially responsible while doing yaps? (laughs) Ain't that the question. And also just side note, (laughs) my like type A side of me was like, Jesse, we have to solve the yap problem on this episode or I'll die. And Jesse was like, that's not going to happen. So (laughs) kind of the... (laughs) The idea here is to actually break down why we see so many of these issues. Like, what led Yaps into being this thing that has become such a a source of frustration in a way that, honestly, it shouldn't be? And because we haven't really defined it, Yap is a young artist program. They are generally considered apprenticeship-style programs for opera houses, usually run out of opera houses. Not so much anymore. Now, young artist programs can be attached to opera houses, or some of them are just summer programs that are unaffiliated. Part of the problem we'll get into is that there's not necessarily a strict definition on what qualifies, which means that pretty much anyone can call themselves a yap. Exactly. There's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of different types of issues tied into why yaps are so difficult to navigate and why they're so expensive and why they don't generate a ton of money. So we're going to kind of talk about in this episode five main issues around yaps. Issue number one being the huge variability about what yaps actually are. Issue two, the ambiguity of what yaps are actually looking for. Issue three, the paid structures across different types of artists and different types of yaps. Issue four, honestly, kind of the poor business understanding of young artists and how that plays into 
the struggle on our side? And issue number five, do we need to cut down on the competition even earlier? Is it too easy to get a music degree? And is that part of the problem? We'll dive into that towards the end. But issue number one, there are a bunch of different types of programs that all fall under the larger umbrella of a YAP. And I'm talking about YAPs that are specifically for like young artists training, whether they're focusing on song, master classes, or very small scenes programs, whether we're talking pay to sings where you're doing a show and you're paying for a role, kind of how that differs even, you know, pay to sings that only use piano versus ones that are fully done with orchestra, YAPs that are really just a chorus role within a house. There's so many different types of YAPs, but I feel like we just talk about all of them and are just like, oh, yeah, I'm applying to this yap, that yap, when it's like, but what is it? It took me forever to learn kind of even just the structure of like, what yaps should I be applying to for at this stage in my career? You know, because we all know some of the big name yaps, you know, people know Glimmer Glass, people know Houston Grand Opera, like people know those. But when it comes to, you know, either in school or fresh out of school, it can be really difficult to tell which ones are correct for you to be applying to which of them may actually not be very helpful for you because you might have kind of surpassed that point in your career like it it's not clear cut in the slightest absolutely and i mean all gaps are highly highly competitive right we're talking about thousands of singers really just going for hundreds of jobs right and so yeah. it's very interesting because i think there's also like so much hype and anticipation around young artist programs when it's kind of like I think sometimes we fall in this pitfall of thinking like if I just get into this yap this is the start of my career I'm like a pre-professional opera singer when it's more so that yaps aren't really pre-professional programs they're really just jobs that we're all fighting for and they're really just training like most of them are really training and aren't a lot of them aren't necessarily that big break that you're waiting for to finally be taken really seriously as an opera singer, you know? But we get confused because they're so, like, they just feel so high stake. Well, and what happened, too, was that there was this kind of shift in how things operated. You know, it used to be more of an apprenticeship with an opera house. And now the field of young artist programs is much bigger. And some of them are AGMA affiliated and some are not. So they don't all follow the same rule set either on what they have to give singers. And so it's made it much more complex because, uh, as we'll get into a little bit later, the demand for YAPs has gone up. And so there have been people who have stepped in, but not all of those people are offering good opportunities. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> like we said, not all of these are actually, you know, this is the complicated thing under the umbrella of of yaps like you said there are jobs and then there are unpaid training and then there's also pay to sing and those are all wildly different things fitting under one big umbrella uh, and we're not really clear with young artists and graduate students and undergrad students about like what should you be looking for yeah and i think a lot of this spills into kind of what we're calling issue two which is the ambiguity of what yaps are actually looking for I think some of the best advice I've ever really received is when you're looking at 
and kind of scoping out young artist programs. We don't always have the luxury of being able to go and see the productions that these programs are putting on, right? Like, it's just, that would be impossible. But usually, actually, (laughs) with 100% certainty, they're going to post their cast lists, right? You're going to be able to see who exactly are these singers that are getting these roles in the young artist programs you want to apply to. And some of the best and easiest work you can do as a young singer is to literally go look up their website, right? Go watch them sing. Check out their stuff on their website and their YouTube, on their Instagram. And that's going to give you a really good idea of, okay, how do I compare to where this person is at? What does my resume look like versus theirs if they're getting this role or have a position at this opera house or this young artist program that I want for myself. And that's some of the best advice I've gotten and has helped me kind of get a better understanding of what I really should be looking for. But I also think that there's kind of a lack of responsibility of yaps to be clear of what they actually want and what level of experience they're looking for. I have a big spreadsheet that I was working on this past winter. And the original point of it was just to see when yaps generally send out audition notices and everything and to get an idea of like which ones do some musical theater and opera which ones do strictly opera which ones have a I was just making a big spreadsheet for data I'm a a big data nerd and I love it but (laughs) it was wild to go through yap tracker I was just breaking down what they offered and what they didn't and the difference between which ones offer travel stipends and which ones offer no money and which ones offer housing and which ones are fine it was wild to see just everything. But not only that, you know, it's crazy to see what some of them ask for. Because there were programs I had never heard of that were definitely asking for like, oh, we ho- we need you to have done several high level yaps before you apply to it. Which was kind of funny to me because to me, I don't think most of the people who had done some of the things they were asking for would be applying to those programs anymore. Sure. Yeah. It's kind of like the the job market in general where you look at like a a minimum wage job and it's like five years and grad degree required. Yeah. And you're like, to make $12 an hour? What? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Minimum wage where I am is like $7, $8. Oh, LOL. You Californians. (laughs) (laughs) Exposes myself. (laughs) Actually, I have no idea what the minimum wage is here. Anyways. Um, Point is to say that they're very unclear about truly what experience level you should have. And a lot of times the experience level doesn't necessarily even make sense. Yeah. And I think we see a lot of responsible young artist programs have more defined tiers, right? So you'll have something like they have like three tiers. They have kind of like for undergrad. And that like obviously has the biggest cost and is more training based. But even though you still get to be like in the chorus and work scenes on the side and then they have a middle tier that's kind of like for seniors and undergrad slash grad students. And then they have a top tier that's like kind of more like emerging professional artists slash like advanced grad students. And I think really having those defined tiers really only helps everybody. Right. Yeah. That gives you a better idea of which category do I fit in? What's a stretch for me? What's more realistic? And it's just tough because you don't always know exactly what these young artist programs are looking for. And a lot of that responsibility falls on us as singers to just be smarter business people and really know exactly (laughs) realistically where we're at and what we should be applying for. But also like 
I'm sure these yaps don't like looking through like a thousand different applications, right? There's just that's just so overwhelming. And it's like they probably wouldn't have to deal with that if they were just more specific of like, hey, this is what we require from you. You know what I mean? Well, and here's the thing. I don't think necessarily every app is going through every application. I've seen multiple people who have also said that, like, they put up videos and they could tell that they hadn't looked at them. Because you get a view count on YouTube if you have unlisted videos. Yeah. Which is heartbreaking. And that, I think, gets into the problem of, like, they don't necessarily make it specific in part because they are collecting application fees. And that is its own big, big problem. (laughs) Yeah. But as far as like the tier thing you were saying, yes, that is also incredibly important because it's hard to know if you look at a category that says like 21 to 35 year old singers. Well, as a 21 year old, are you really going to spend your 40 to 70 to $100 on this application fee? I don't think I've seen one that was 100, but you get my point. Are you going to spend it on one where you're going to be competing with people who have 10 years on you? Yeah. Age is a very interesting issue in YAPS. I kind of feel like it's a, I don't know, it's just a very tricky situation for I think a lot of people, and this plays into the ambiguity, because yeah, when you have a group, when your age range is literally 21 or 18 to 35, that's not really realistic, right? How many 21-year-olds are you really going to take? One? Like maybe maybe if you have a really talented coloratura soprano or like a really talented young bass. You got but a Nadine Sierra that, Hayden in there? Yeah, it's like that, like... I don't know, that puts up like false expectations and only makes the waters murkier for, hey, well, I'm 21 and it says 21 to 35, so maybe I have a shot. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't feel that that's always entirely truthful. But then the other kind of weird thing about age is what do we do with this whole group of opera singers who maybe don't come to opera until they are like in their 30s and then are or, or later and are excluded from a ton of training opportunities that we get as younger singers. It is the age discussion in opera. It's just always a complex like, and difficult thing. Opera is probably one of the few places where you truly have like 40-year-olds playing 18-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Looking at you, Susanna. Anyway, <laughs> but it's true. It's, it's one of the few places where we really will mess with age ranges on, on our characters. And that can be good and bad. And the problem with restructuring that is somebody is always going to get screwed over. Yeah. And the other problem is that some voices, you know, lower voices, bigger voices, don't tend to hit the point where you'd see them in an opera house until they're a little older. So messing with the age range also lets us into this problem of, like, what do you do with older voices where, you know, they may just spend some time training before they come back into yaps because it takes a little more time for that voice to develop. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the answer to this is because obviously I think that there is value in having wide age ranges because you do get to include more people who maybe came to opera later or including some younger singers. But at the same time, I also feel like we would benefit from seeing a lot smaller ranges in age because realistically, like I said, if you have like 21 to 35 is your age range, you're really looking at like 28 year olds and like to 32, right? Like that's going to be the meat of the people that you're actually probably wanting and casting. So I don't know. It's just false expectations. I guess the other option is to do it by character like you would do for musical theater, which usually most characters almost have like a two decade range. Yeah, I don't know. 
So I guess the other option is to kind of look at it from that perspective. But even that doesn't really solve the problem. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, that that I think is one of our more difficult discussions is like, how do we deal with this? And like, because we don't want to exclude people who come in later in life. Like, if you can sing it, you should be able to go for it. That's kind of my position. But at the same time, there's the reality of we also do have to have programs that train young singers. Because young singers simply in many ways cannot compete with older, larger voices. Absolutely. So here we go. The unsolvable problems. But the other issue that we get into and why maybe we don't even necessarily see too much of a problem with older singers at the moment is the insane disparity in pay (laughs) across programs, across levels, across everything. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, think the transition as a whole of YAPs being mostly for training and now transitioning in more recent years into perhaps cheap labor territory is a big confusing issue for everyone involved. Not even just cheap labor. Some of, you know, some of these programs are making money off of people singing because once again, pay to sings do fall on, under the umbrella of, of YAPs. And why would a a house or a group ever pay a singer when they could have someone pay to sing the role? Exactly. But I was reading an article on Classical Singer that kind of broke down yaps. And the average weekly pay for an entire week of work was about $275. That is far less than minimum wage in most places if you consider the amount of work that a young artist puts in during a week. Now, this is often justified by housing being usually taken care of. But at the end of the day, most young singers are also paying rent somewhere. Most of us also have homes. Like, most people don't move to the place they do these programs in. So, presumably, you would still be paying for rent. You don't have health care. Through this job, at least. Yeah, this is just, like, well below minimum wage. Yeah, and and zero benefits. Zero benefits. Depending on whether it's AGMA or not. AGMA changes the rules. The Guild Association changes things up. So for the most part, we're going to be talking about non-Guild Association because if we got into all the rules with that, we'd be here all day. (laughs) But basically, even on the high end of the spectrum, the most people are getting paid per week in a young artist program is about $550. Some of them have a single time stipend. Some of these are not even weekly. So it it really, you'd have to look at them all individually, but it breaks down to low end is about 150, high end is 550, average is 275. Yeah, that's just, it's not sustainable whatsoever. You would make so much more money working like a minimum wage job part-time. You know what I mean? It's just that, and you're so right. People are paying rent back home. People are paying all of their bills. They're probably already in some sort of debt because of music school. So it's just not sustainable. Yeah. Well, and you also, so like I said, programs talk about this and they basically say like, well, you know, you're also getting training. You're getting job advising. Some of these programs have agents to come in and listen. But at the end of the day, jobs are meant to pay your bills. Mm Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, it's not like you can really easily work another job on top of a yap. Oh, no, you can't. You have to save up to do the yap to take time off of work, which also is kind of a weird thing as well, because a lot of grad students who are kind of in the yap phase, like we have jobs and we have to take time off of work or 
whatever it is that we do to be able to go away for a month or two and do these, right? So we're like not getting paid from our job. We're already kind of putting ourselves in a tricky position because we have to take extensive time off of work to do these. And then we're not really even, even if, well, if we're even getting paid to do this yap, it's like nothing. But chances are like a vast majority are pay to sings. Like usually you don't get some sort of stipend. One week of work in one of these yaps would not pay for the application and travel to the audition for the yap. Exactly. That's a great way to look at it. It would probably take me, depending on where I had to fly to, to do the audition or drive to, usually it would probably take me at minimum two to three weeks of, of a yap to pay back the fees I paid to audition for the yap. And not even obviously be guaranteed that you're going to get in the app. Nope. It's just a, <laughs> an investment with no guarantee of return. And so I guess the qu- next question is like, how did we end up in such a weird situation where like people accept the fact that, you know, this is just how it is. We've kind of all come around to this idea because as much as we're frustrated, most of us would gladly take a yap position that paid at all. Most of us would be so excited. Hashtag thrilled to announce. <laughs> that we had gotten anything that would pay and i think you know at the heart of that there's a great article written by dan kempson for artplusmarketing.com and it's called when people are the product why reliance on young artist programs may lead to financial ruin for opera and he gets into the issue of supply versus demand which is to say that there are tons and tons of people who are at the young artist stage and so so few jobs which means that we don't have the kind of negotiation ability that a lot of people have when they take on a job. We don't have the wiggle room to negotiate our contracts in that way. Because simply, if we don't take it, there are hundreds of people waiting to replace us. Even though most of us have anywhere from 6 to 10 years to 15 years of training. Yeah. There's not really many jobs like that where you could have 15 years of experience and still have a real struggle to negotiate a contract. Absolutely, because it doesn't even matter which young artist program you're going for. Most young artist programs, whether they're worth it or not, have a thousand singers fighting for a cast of 25. You know what I mean? Or less. I mean, when you look at the higher up ones, they're filling roles per voice part. Like maybe they're only two to six per voice part available, right? So it's like yeah. there, there really are so few other fields where like you said you have 15 plus years of experience and you're fighting to even get a position at a non-paying job right like that just doesn't exist anywhere else it's just crazy there's so many of us fighting for so few spots well and in a place where we we often talk about you know you should be paid for your work we talk about it all the time and yet the very foundation that like builds our work is refusing to pay us. Yes, and this leads to a very interesting cycle in opera in which we, as the participants, also become the consumers, right? So, like, a ton of us don't make it, and then we become the lovers of opera and support it. And it's just such a weird situation to be in because, like, we weren't really able to make money from it, and yet we still give our money and hope 
I don't know. It's just it's just the weirdest thing. Opera's so strange. <laughs> Classical music is bizarre. We end up in this world weird world where we all would love to believe that the YAP program is in all of this, that all of it's based on like a meritocracy. That if you work hard and you're good at what you do, you will make it. And it doesn't because simply put, the people who have the time and energy to audition without struggling for it are going to be better off. They're going to sleep more. They're going to work less. They're not going to strain their voice or their ears working in loud environments. Like the people who have that kind of opportunity and privilege are simply going to outlast other people. Oh, absolutely. And we'll definitely get more into this in episode two of this issues and yaps but yeah i mean the whole i mean obviously all of classical music but especially this young artist cycle is so saturated in privilege it's just it's not sustainable so you really like most of us have to have some sort form of support going into it right because so much of the time you're investing money that you are not going to get a return on even if you get the position you wanted yeah, and even when we do get into the, hooray, I made it, I got this, I got the acceptance letter, right? There's still so much gray area between pay across different level of singers, right? I think we've all been in maybe a smaller production where everybody gets a cut of the final ticket sales. But that's not really sustainable either because I don't think that leads... I don't think you're like Don Giovanni should be getting the same pay as a chorus member, right? That doesn't really make sense. Well, especially not for Don Giovanni where the chorus is only in what, like one scene. <laughs> yeah, but like even like a Don Giovanni versus like a Mazzetto. Like I just think that like different roles require different levels of training, different amounts of rehearsal. And so I think that we can kind of all agree that pay across level of expertise and roles is can be a very tricky area and then going back to the fact that we have like no negotiation power for our contracts we're just often taking what we can get yeah and i think i think that's the problem is like the more that yaps take over from moving from a training program to cheap labor the worse it gets for everybody because it starts taking in more older people because they can get more experienced people for less money. Mm -hmm. And then it starts taking over roles. Some uh, One of the really interesting things that they pointed out in the Art Plus Marketing article I was talking about was that character roles have kind of disappeared in a way because they're used to create value for young artist programs. Even though there are actual character tenors, character mezzos, character sopranos, there are people who specialize in that who can no longer get work because those roles are used to add value to people who are essentially paying or being given very little money to be there. It's simply cheaper to use them. And the more that happens, the more we devalue things that are supposed to come after young artist programs. The more it hurts the people who are trying to move up that ladder and out of young artists into an actual professional capacity. Because it's simply cheaper to put it under the young artist umbrella. Yeah. We end up hurting huge. ourselves in the future by perpetuating this cycle because as much fun as it is to imagine getting to do this huge role inside of a yap the problem is that the yap allows people to devalue that labor absolutely doesn't matter if you're an accomplished 35 year old singer with a great kick in resume if they can get a 25 year old to do it for a pay to sing you know what i mean they're not going to pay you the thousands of dollars to house you and and give you that role it's just not going to happen 
which is horrible, right? You would hope yeah. by 35 you're getting the role and getting paid for it. That's the whole goal of doing the young artist thing. Ah! <laughs> and just to keep this from being too doom and gloom, there are people who have recognized this and are working on it. For example, Opera Theater of St. Louis actually has a much better system than a lot of places because they have a festival artist position, which is kind of uh, made to fill in the place between a young artist program and a true main stage role. I think the reason, and not to mention that their young artist program, their festival artists, and their main stage artists are all well paid. And the breakdown between these levels it makes a lot of sense. You're not seeing main stage roles being taken over or festival artist roles being taken over. Everyone has a place and those positions and opportunities are clearly defined and paid well for that level of experience. And that's the kind of clarity we're looking for. And the thing about it is it hasn't hurt Opera Theater of St. Louis. They've actually doubled their endowment in the past decade. They are treating people well so people like them. It's a very uncomplicated idea. Yeah, I think the more we see opera companies and young artists, artist programs kind of return to the original intent of producing talented, prepared young singers and seeing them through only helps everybody. I mean, it is really nice when you look up different young artist programs that have pretty good return rates, right? People want to keep singing with them. And you watch people go from the lowest artist tier to their more professional ones, right? And you get this relationship and actually really get the training from the staff members and then get to apply it to the following seasons, right? Yeah. I mean, that's some of the best. I mean, that helps everybody. You're actually investing in the artist's career and you're valuing their work. Therefore, they want to come back. You get the audience associated with that singer to return and you know i mean it's just it's good for everybody we all understand that a part of our art form is business but we also have to remember that the people involved are humans yeah <laughs> they are not products and and the reality is is that i think i think that is kind of where we get lost is that at some point people just looked at it and said well i can get money from this and it stops Absolutely. being about like it, start, it stopped being about the art and it stopped being about training people and creating better musicians and creating, you know, a better place for our art. Yeah. And that's kind of what we got to get back to. Go Opera Theater of St. Louis. Go Opera Theater of St. Louis. I mean, we appreciate that. And we appreciate people who are still trying to advocate on behalf of their artists. Because that's the thing. You're right. People go back there again and again. It is, It develops singers, which is the whole point. But I think, too, the other thing we have to be better about, you know, and this is our issue number four, is we have to start teaching young artists how to better recognize and understand yaps. Because the fact is, there will always be people trying to take advantage, and there will also be people trying to advocate for artists. And we have to start helping people understand which are which. Yeah. And I think this has all become a very hot topic. <laughs> In recent years because I feel like we have gotten to the point where there's so much I don't want to say animosity but I feel like we've gotten to a point where it's very singer versus administration right and I think that this the idea of yaps kind of fosters two camps right we have the young artists who very much are kind of naively thinking 
I should audition for everything because I need to pay my dues. I need to just like spend thousands of dollars every audition season and see what sticks. I got to just throw out (laughs) my resume to anyone who will take it. And then you have the other camp who's much more like it's all a scam. There's so little value in applying for yaps. You I don't even know if they're going to listen to my stuff. These fees are predatory, like all of this. Like you just see a lot from either side. And I think this all kind of goes back to poor business understanding on the part of young artists. And I think part of the reason we've gotten to this kind of singer versus administration mentality is because when we're in grad school, when we're in undergrad, there's very little solid advice on what YAPs are actually appropriate for us to apply for at our current level. You you said it right off the bat at the beginning of this episode, Jesse. We're all very familiar with the top artist programs. But more often than not, like we're an undergrad or we're in grad school or fresh out, right? And those are not always the ones that we are ready for. And we are not always made aware or to spend the time researching what actually is appropriate for us at our current school level. And so I think that gets into, too, that, you know, if you're teaching, you have a responsibility to keep up to date with YAPs, to talk to your colleagues who have been through programs to consolidate that data. Because pretty much every time I've learned about and applied, especially when I was in undergrad and like early grad school, anything I applied for almost always was recommended to me by a teacher. Because at that point, I realized those were the only real programs I could trust is if I knew someone who had been through it or a teacher who could recommend it, or a teacher who had worked for one of them. Yeah, I think definitely being open as a community with each other about our honest experiences with different young artist programs is so tremendously helpful. We talk about some of the really great Facebook pages you should join if you are a young singer, and I'm going to suggest you go back and listen to the first episode and and join those pages because that is also where you can go and ask, hey, do you guys have experience with this program? What do you think about it? It's a great place to gather information like that. It's what they're made for. And it's great to see other people having those conversations because you may be enlightened to something you didn't know. And that consolidation of information among young singers is our most powerful asset. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And it's very funny as I was kind of just... Diving a little bit more into this singing versus administration mentality, I literally came across a headline (laughs) that was audition season or the annual festival of shattered dreams. (laughs) And I was like, honestly, (laughs) feels right. It does feel right. And that's sad. But I also think that's like very dramatic. (laughs) But I mean, obviously, there's some truth to that. But I think that that all plays back into we're not helping young artist programs by thinking that they're all a scam because there are so many organizations that are 100% doing their best to provide us with a great experience and to provide us with actual training and actual opportunities for the future. And we shouldn't lump them together with the clear scam, clear young artist programs that are just taking money from young artists left and right. Yeah, I think we have to get better at applauding the good programs the things we see that are great and being honest too even i mean that's the problem is in music you never want to burn a bridge but we have to be more open and vocal about the programs that have slighted us (laughs) and i i hate to phrase it that way but we have to be more honest about things that we go through that we're like 
you know what? Looking back, I think this is more of a being taken advantage of situation than it is a real, true learning experience. And we have to be better about telling other people about it. Because the other problem with once you've been through something like that, telling other people like you shouldn't join that program or whatever, is that we unintentionally devalue our own resume. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to not let that cycle continue. Because like I said, there will just simply always be people who are taking advantage. It sucks. I wish it weren't true. But the more we can rebuild the trust between young artist programs and singers, and the more we can demand clarity in levels, clarity in pay, the better off we all are. The better off the opera houses are, the better off the training programs are, because then we don't all hate each other. <laughs> and we don't all get frustrated and we don't write sad articles every <laughs> every winter. Absolutely. And then we don't have petitions to cancel <laughs> um, yeah. programs, right? Like we don't have all of this heated debate. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah. I think a huge responsibility does fall on the young artists to become more business savvy. And I don't think that's the answer that anybody wants to hear because it's way easier to just blame young artist programs. But I, I don't know. I think we do have to take some responsibility. And that's definitely not to say that young artist programs don't do super annoying things. Like, yeah, my biggest pet peeve is not obviously, as we explained in our pet peeves episode, is never hearing a yes or no. Back. Oh my god. So if you're if you're on the board or have or you have your own opera company and you do that, I'm sorry. I just you're the you're the worst. <laughs> you really are the worst. Paying forty dollars to get ghosted. But the but you know the other thing that's also super annoying? <laughs> I'm just gonna go and hate on young artist programs. No, but the, my other biggest pet peeve is oh gosh, is like wait lists and when you apply to something and then you wait months to hear back and then you like finally hear back yes or no a week before your audition because by then your flight is double if not more enjoy that $700 ticket right is like went from like a $200 ticket to like a $700 ticket and you last minute have to ask off work it's just it's really inconsiderate so I'm not saying that young artist programs are not fully culpable of all of these super annoying things but like we also have to take a lot of more responsibility as young artists funniest thing was when i couldn't get time off work and so i just lied and said i was sick but i still had to fly out of the airport that i worked at <gasps> rough yikes <laughs> hoodie sunglasses walk Ooh, wow that is hey you do what you gotta do do what you gotta do. But you do. shouldn't have to do that. <laughs> no one, no one, I mean, I don't work there anymore. We're in a pandemic. Nobody's drinking. Well, not out at least. <laughs> anyway, no, but that is to say our position is always this. Always advocate for what is right for our industry. We all also know that the industry is slow to change and we will keep fighting to make these programs better long past the time where we will probably be even using them. Hopefully by the, t I mean, realistically, by the time they change, we will be running them, hopefully. But in the meantime, we're going to do our best and we hope you do your best to help each other because the better we become, the more business savvy we become, the better we get at recognizing some of the abusive parts of our industry, the better off, once again, we all are.
So it is part of that self-advocacy thing again where, yes, it would be lovely to think that tomorrow all the gaps would be clear and focused and would have a more equitable pay structure. But it's going to take some more time. So in the meantime, we just support each other. But there was another interesting question that was brought up while we were talking about this. And I think it's worth talking about because I don't know how I feel about it. (laughs) Which is to say outside of the actual structure of the apps themselves. If we do some of this restructuring, we end up in a problem where we hit a bit of a bottleneck when people get out of school, where there's a lot of people with degrees and talent, but there are fewer positions because we're paying better. And that would be a reality of some of the changes that we've suggested. And so the question is there is that, are there too many music students? Are there too many people with music degrees um, coming out for too few jobs? Yeah, this is our our fifth issue for the episode and I really struggle with this concept because I totally understand that if we want to be paid better and we want better chances of getting jobs and like actually really having a more self-sustaining model that's pretty hard to accomplish without there being less of us and this runs into a really tricky thing because I mean I don't know we preach self-advocacy like <laughs> every chance we get, but it is it, we do kind of have the question of, is it too easy to get a music degree now? I kind of think it is. I would say and here's I- my thing. Yes and no. <laughs> um, see, my problem with this and part of what my frustration was, was like I was definitely a late bloomer in music and were the cutoff stricter, I probably wouldn't have got my first degree. I probably wouldn't have got my bachelor's, but I like what I do <laughs> and I... I don't know, you know, I don't know what the future holds for me, but I don't regret getting my music degree. And so I run into this problem, but I also don't look at the school I came out of. I didn't see people graduate from my undergrad where I was like, why do, why would they ever graduate them? At least, you know, and I, I'm speaking solely for my side of that program. I didn't see people graduating where I really thought like, oh, they should never have gotten the music degree. No, and I would agree with that. But I also think that there is such a huge fallout after even a bachelor's where people are like, my music degree is useless. I don't even do music anymore. That I almost like do kind of feel like maybe, I mean, we have a whole episode about, go listen to our what did I miss episode, just of all the things that we should learn in music school, but we don't. And I think that that is a huge part of it. But I guess, I don't know. I I do like, I have met people with music (sighs) degrees though before who I have questioned. I guess I'm not I'm not questioning talent because if you have a music degree like <laughs> you clearly like it you clearly put in probably some of the work <laughs> and definitely have talent but that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has like the passion the drive the like end all be all to make it and that's where I'm kind of like is it too easy to get a music degree because I I can't think of many people There's no other field where we do that to people, though, you know? I I guess my other thing is, like, in music degrees are one of the few degrees in general where people do get cut from a degree. You know, I don't know for every school out there, but for the school Michelle and I went to, we had a sophomore barrier where people got cut from the program. And most schools have something along those lines. But you don't really see that in any other field. But at the same time, it is harsh because, you're right, a music degree... For all that it's amazing for, and for all that you really can do with it, 
it is not necessarily the most impressive thing on a resume if you're applying for a non-music position. Yeah. You know, whereas if you have a business degree, it's a little more flexible. Yeah. This is just a very tricky question. I don't have an answer to it because I think that if you want to make it, regardless of whether or not you get opportunities from YAPS, I once again think going back to self-advocacy, you can create your opportunities and pave your own way completely ditching YAPS, right? So... It's just such a, I don't know the, what the answer yeah. to that is. And not everyone but... who has a successful career out of classical music will be in opera houses or will be in orchestras. You know, there are people who will do things outside of that that will make them happy and be performance-based and be whatever they want them to be. And so, you know, I saw someone the other day who I, is either a violinist or a viola player, apologies, but, but they're also a comedian and they use it in their act. And so, you know, there's lots of stuff out there for you to do that isn't necessarily this strict and somewhat traditional path so I think that's where I end up in that weird place where I'm just wondering I don't know because I hate closing people out from it but at the same time I would agree with you that there is a need for that kind of honesty between people not in the harsh crushing way we often see it where people are like you'll never make it here but of of teaching people the real reality of being a musician and the risk and cost and sacrifice yeah. you will be making in order to to do this thing yeah and I think that that's honestly just the tricky part of it because with this kind of bottleneck of talent so to speak I mean it is better to learn that maybe like that's not that a professional career in music is not necessarily what you want or what you envision for the rest of your life it's better to realize that sooner rather than later, right? Yeah. When you're like 21 and out of your bachelor's rather than 35 and literally just crushed by yaps. But even then, you know, M Michelle has a voice teacher who was the head of our old department, but she performed for a long, for a decent amount of time. She was well on her way to a professional career and she just realized she didn't like the lifestyle. She loved music. Yeah. She's a great singer. She's an incredible teacher. But she just didn't like what the actual life of doing that kind of music gives you. And that's where I think we fail often is we're not super honest about what life is like when you do this. I don't think I necessarily want to see less people going through music school as much as I want to see the world open up to music in general. And I want to see, I think, less stratification in, in life about with music. I want more people to do music because they love it and less people to worry about making a professional career of it. I suppose that's where I really sit. Because the reality is, is a professional career in music is crushing and frustrating and amazing and joyful and all of those things in between, and it is not for everybody. Absolutely. But I don't want people to stop pursuing music because they love it, because I think there is every justification. I saw plenty of people who got music degrees so that they could go on to grad school to get a degree in something else. Music teaches us a lot of things that are super useful. And if you can combine that into something else, you know, I saw people do dual degrees. I saw people work music classes into their other degree, whatever it is. But I, I would agree that I think we need to open up the mindset that maybe performance is the only way. I think maybe that's the bigger picture and not cutting people out of music programs, more, more in making music more accessible to everybody just for the joy of it. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. At the end of this month, at the end of September, we're actually going to release an episode about amateur musicians and the joys and why that's actually a really, really wonderful thing that should be supported and that 
just because you love music doesn't mean that you have to do it professionally. You can do it in lots of different ways and find it super fulfilling without putting that pressure on yourself. So keep an ear out for that episode. And once again, you know, it's always difficult to go through these tough topic issues because it feels a little disappointing. But the reason we talk about them is because things are changing and things do get better and there will be better programs. And as we get together and we better envision what we want from our work, the more we will be able to demand it and ask for it and promote it and show it off. Like the whole point of this episode isn't, gosh, yaps are awful and everything's awful, sad, sad, sad. The point is that we have an incredible opportunity in front of us as things ha- restructure, honestly, because we're in this, <laughs> to use an unfortunate word, unprecedented time in history. And we have such an incredible opportunity in front of us to recreate the opera and the classical music world to better fit us, to better fit audiences. And that's how I'd like you guys to view this as not something to bring you down, but something to draw us together as we move forward. Absolutely. I mean... In light of COVID-19, yaps of, as we know it, have stopped, right? We're in a very interesting time period to really do the hard work and bring these things to light and collaborate with other young artists on what we want our industry to look like because our industry as we know it is not going to come back. It's not. It's gone. And maybe that's It's going to be different. I think it is. I think it is. And I think now... By talking to other young artists and being very open with the existing companies that aren't going anywhere is a great time to figure out what we want for classical music in the future and moving forward and for future generations of classical musicians. So thank you guys for joining us. And of course, if you have opera programs that you loved, that you hated, whatever experience you've had with a yap, we'd love to hear them. You know, maybe we'll do a write-in episode in the near future to talk about some of it. But reach out to us, talk to us, join with us. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Opera Offstage. We've also got a website where you can contact us, which is opera-offstage.com. But like we said, we'd love to hear from you. We love to hear about your experiences. They really help us as we continue to create the show. And if there's anything you'd like to hear on our episode too that we didn't cover here, please let us know. That episode we're still writing, so we're open to suggestions. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.